deep in the foothills of Northern California's Sierra Nevada range, where our friends in the Donner Party once became stranded, was once a scenic vacation spot known as the Ketty Resort. Founded in 1901 along Spanish Creek, the secluded resort was reached by most early guests thanks to a railway line that ran between Salt Lake City and Oakland, California. Of course, times would change, and so would the resort. By the 1980s, the residents who lived there year-round were not the wealthy vacationers who first put the spot on the map. They were transients, vagabonds, and down-on-their-look drifters and single parents who just had no place else to go. Then on April 11, 1981, strangers came to Ketty, and they claimed the lives of four people, a mother, her daughter, her teenage son, and a family friend. They were beaten to death by their assailants while other children slept in the next room. No one knows why the murders took place, but maybe, just maybe, it was simply because they were home. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to the last act of this season, Woods and Fields, Dark and Wicked, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. This has been a strange and twisted season so far, filled with witchcraft, hexes, curses, mysterious disappearances, and the many spirits and sins of America's past. But this last act has definitely become the bloodiest and most curious as we delve into some of the murders that have occurred in our country's forests, farms, and fields. This is episode 19, a true story that inspired one of the most terrifying films of the last two decades. Usually, when you're watching a horror film, you're supposed to keep telling yourself that what you're seeing on screen is only a movie. But in this episode, you'll find out that truth is much stranger and much scarier than fiction. When the Ketty Resort opened its doors, many wondered how a place so isolated could possibly survive. Almost 90 miles from Reno, Nevada, the closest town of Quincy was still another six miles away. But Ketty didn't just survive, it thrived. Its isolation was the key to its success. The vacationers, hikers, and fishermen who came to the place had 33 log cabins to choose from, or the rustic two-story lodge if a small cabin wasn't your thing. There was a general store and a fashionable restaurant in which people drove hundreds of miles just to dine on local elk and trout. Those who wanted to escape the city for a getaway weekend could eat, sleep, and relax without the distractions of the outside world to bother them. It was an idyllic place, and it prospered for decades. But over time, the resort lost its shine, and people stopped being willing to make the drive to the middle of nowhere to spend the weekend or eat at a restaurant that had become old and outdated. The demand for the cabins declined, and as they did, they started to become shabby and run down. By the 1970s, longtime owner Gary Molath started offering the cabins as long-term rentals for low-income families and those who didn't like staying in one place for too long. He also rented to struggling students who were attending Feather River College in Quincy. This little band of permanent and not-so-permanent residents formed a community of their own. They had a lot in common. All of them struggled to pay rent, usually waiting for monthly stipends or a kindness mailed by a distant parent. Some of them worked in the Ketty restaurant that still managed to draw some diners from out of town or in the attached bar, which mostly drew a local only crowd. 
Ketty became more than just a former resort. It was a little town of its own, hidden away in the backwoods shaded by the towering pines. There was only one road to enter or leave Ketty, and for four of its residents in 1981, they simply never left. Glenna Sharp, who went by the name Sue, moved into cabin 28 in Ketty in November 1980. She'd escaped from a volatile and abusive marriage by literally disappearing into the night with her five kids. She ended up in Quincy to be near family and was only able to afford one of the rundown cabins at Ketty. She was 36 at the time and was trying to raise her kids on a small support check that she received each month. There wasn't much left after she paid the rent, but she was doing her best. Living in the tiny cabin with her 15-year-old son, Johnny, 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 12-year-old Tina and young sons Ricky, who was 10, and Greg, who'd recently turned five. The house was a tight fit for six people. It had a living room, kitchen, and two small bedrooms. To stretch the space, Sue created a makeshift bedroom for Johnny in the basement. Sue, Sheila, and Tina shared one of the main floor bedrooms, while Ricky and Greg shared the other. It was crowded, but it wasn't much different than what others were doing at Ketty at the time. In early 1981, there were about 66 people living at the former resort. They were, as I mentioned, a pretty tight community. They watched out for each other, cared for each other's kids, and rarely locked their doors. There was almost no crime aside from smoking some weed and a little underage drinking, or so everyone thought. When the Sharps moved into Cabin 28, Sue made friends slowly. She was quiet and not naturally outgoing. But she did become close with Marilyn Smart, who lived in Cabin 26, just on the other side of the gravel road, and with her kids and her second husband, Marty. The children were a different story. They made friends easily, especially Ricky and Greg, who became especially close to Justin Eason, one of Marilyn Smart's sons from her former marriage. The three of them roamed the woods and frequently slept over at each other's homes. Sheila, the Oldest of the girls became best friends with Paula Seabolt, who lived next door. Unfortunately, Paula's mother, Zanita, was not a fan of Sue Sharp. Zanita was a strict Mormon who didn't approve of how Sue raised her children. She'd found out that Sheila had given birth to a baby at the age of only 13 and had given it up for adoption. It was obvious to her that Sue was not keeping an eye on her kids. And as a result, Paula was never allowed to stay at the Sharp cabin. The Sharp kids were always welcome next door, though, so Sheila and her younger sister, Tina, slept over at the Seabolt's house almost every Saturday night. Tina was a sweet, shy girl who'd been placed in special education at school because she was performing well below her age range. She blossomed after getting more one-on-one -on -one time attention, but the teachers complained because they knew she was getting almost no support at home. Sue was simply too busy trying to keep food on the table. Tina was quiet, small for her age, and while she spent most of her time following around her older sister, she seemed like an ordinary kid. But it would later be discovered that Tina's life was much more troubled than any 12-year-old's life should be. Sue's oldest, Johnny, spent most of his spare time in Quincy, where they were bused to school. His best friend was 17-year-old Dana Wingate. Dana was a decent kid, but had his own issues. After getting into trouble at an early age, he began living in a group home in town where he finally started getting his act together. 
He had a good friend in Johnny, and while there was gossip about a little drinking and some weed, they stayed away from any serious problems. Life wasn't wonderful at Ketty, but it wasn't terrible either. It was simply life. The kind of life that many of us who've lived paycheck to paycheck or without luxuries have all experienced at one time or another. And then came April 11th, 1981. It should have been an ordinary day. No better, no worse, no different than any other in the isolated little community. It started out as just another Saturday for Sue and the kids. Johnny went into Quincy to meet up with Dana. Sheila made plans to spend the night with Paula. Tina wanted to come too, but Paula's mom thought the older girls needed time together, so Tina stayed home. Ricky and Greg invited their friend Justin from just down the road to spend the night at Cabin 28. He showed up with pajamas and a pillow just as Sheila was leaving. Sue was staying home that night to watch the kids. In town, Johnny got permission from the family that ran the group home to allow Dana to come back to Ketty with him for the night. They promised not to hitchhike to the old resort, but of course did it anyway. Friends would report seeing them along the highway. It took them almost two hours to get to Ketty. Maybe. They were last seen walking along State Route 70. They returned to Cabin 28 later that night and went down to Johnny's basement bedroom. Whether they entered the home while the murders were taking place or became aware of the intruders after hearing a disturbance upstairs, well, that remains a mystery. No matter what happened, Johnny and Dana did not survive the night. Earlier that evening, though, there had been laughter in Cabin 28. Sue made popcorn for the kids and they sat down to watch what was then a hit show, The Love Boat. When it was over, the boys went to bed, followed by Tina. Sue finally had some time to herself, or so she thought. She just started looking for something to watch on TV when there was a knock at the door. It was her friend Marilyn, her husband Marty, and their friend John Budabay, who went by the nickname of Bo. He was a shady character who'd been staying with the Smarts for about two weeks. He'd met Marty while the two of them were patients on the psychiatric ward at the VA hospital in Reno. And no, I'm not kidding about that. They stopped to see if Sue wanted to take a drink with them at the back door bar at the Keddy Lodge. She passed. She didn't want to leave the kids, hated how Marty treated Marilyn and Bo. Well, Bo was just a creep. They left and Sue started flipping through the TV channels again. Well, I'm just guessing about that. We don't know what happened next. Well, not for sure anyway. Only that Sue ended up dead. The next morning, Sheila came home. She opened the door and walked into the darkened living room. The curtains were still closed, but there was just enough light to see. Probably too much light. She was stunned by the carnage in the room. The bodies of Sue, Johnny, and Dana were lying on the living room floor, covered with blood. Sheila ran screaming to the Seabold house. She breathlessly told them there were dead people in cabin 28. At that point, it was too dark and there was too much blood for her to recognize her mother, brother, and his friend. The sheriff was called, but Sheila ran back home. She was worried about her little brothers. She ran down the side of the cabin to the bedroom window and tapped hard on it. The boys, along with Justin, were awakened by the tapping and Sheila told them not to leave the bedroom. Mr. Seabolt lifted each of them out of the window and took them next door. Sheila didn't know if the killer might still be in the cabin or if the boys were in danger, 
and she didn't want them to see the horrific scene in the living room. When the police finally arrived, the true depth of the horror inside cabin 28 was finally revealed. When they entered the cramped living room, they found the lifeless bodies had been bludgeoned and slashed so badly they were almost unrecognizable. They had been tortured for hours. Sue was found lying face down next to the sofa, naked below the waist. She'd been covered with a yellow blanket taken from her bed. Her hands were tightly bound with adhesive tape and her ankles were tied with electrical cord. Her torso and head had been slashed and sliced repeatedly. An old blue bandana had been used as a gag and several of her teeth were broken. She'd been stabbed deeply in the chest multiple times, but her most devastating injuries were inflicted with a claw hammer, which had crushed her skull. Johnny, fully clothed, was left lying on the floor face up. He had been bound and assaulted in the same way that Sue had been, but his throat was also cut. Dana had also been beaten to death with a hammer, but had been strangled and oddly tied. He had tape wrapped around one wrist and electrical wire tied to one ankle, but his hands and feet were not tied together. The living room was blood-streaked and in disarray, but it seemed that little else in the house was touched. The phone had been left off the hook and a few of the smaller pieces of furniture had been knocked over. The killers seemed to have gone into a frenzy, slashing and stabbing at the walls with knives and punching holes with the hammer. A steak knife belonging to the Sharps was found on the floor. A bloody hammer and another large knife had been left behind and an additional knife was later found in a trash bin behind the Ketty Lodge. Investigators were confused as they tried to piece together what had occurred at the house. There was no clear indication who had been killed first. Sue had blood on the bottom of her feet, as if she'd stepped in a pool of blood before she was killed, but no one could know for sure. The times of death were loosely determined to be between 10 p.m. and 2.30 a.m., which also didn't help much. Worse, no one had heard anything. Cabin 28 was almost in the center of the resort. It was surrounded by dozens of people who were sleeping, but not a one had been awakened by any kind of disturbance. Even the other boys in the house had slept through the carnage. Well, except for maybe one. Sheriff Doug Thomas wanted to speak to the neighbor boy, Justin Eason, and found him hysterical. He tried repeatedly to tell the sheriff that Tina was gone, but Thomas had no idea what he was talking about. Finally, Justin's mother explained, there were three dead people in the house, but there was another little girl who should have been there. Tina was missing. Justin was terrified and weeping. He insisted he didn't know where Tina was and hadn't seen anything that occurred in the living room, but the police did find the bedroom door partially open and found blood on the bottom of Justin's feet. They believed he'd been awakened by the noise, left the bedroom, and may have even been the one who covered Sue's body with the yellow blanket. But Justin hadn't seen anything. He said it over and over. He was either too frightened to talk or the emotional trauma of the night of horrors had left him with no memory of the events. Desperate Sheriff Thomas would have Justin hypnotized and during the session, he described two men in the house, but whether the descriptions were accurate remains unknown. His story changed several times over the years and understandably so. A young boy like that isn't meant to deal with that kind of trauma. Meanwhile, though, a search was started for Tina. 
The only evidence left behind was a small amount of blood in her bed, not nearly enough to indicate she'd been killed in the cabin. The dogs were brought in to try to track her, but it was no use. Tina was simply gone. Flyers were sent to police departments across the country, but it seemed she had just vanished. As the police investigation began to focus on Ketty, the illusion of the quiet, peaceful community began to unravel. What had seemed like a safe place for adults and kids alike was revealed to be a place with some very dark secrets. Detectives found the list of questionable characters living and visiting Ketty to be truly disturbing. Sue thought she'd moved her family into a secluded corner of paradise, but in reality, they were surrounded by convicted child molesters, professional criminals, corrupt businessmen, and transient thieves. The resort's owner had even been linked to a murder, though he was never arrested. And the resort's caretaker, Sue's next-door neighbor and husband of the strict Mormon, James Seabolt, was described by residents as a habitual peeping tom. Tina wasn't even safe at school, as one of her teachers was later found to be a pedophile and ended up a registered sex offender. With a mind-boggling number of possible suspects, the cops began trying to weed out those with alibis and dig deeper into people like Marty Smart, Justin's stepfather, and his pal Bo. Both men were questioned while they both gave puzzling answers and lied about ridiculous things like not knowing where the Sharps lived and saying they'd never been in the house. Both men were eventually cleared. Bo left Ketty the next day and a short time later, after Marty was arrested for being in a fight, he was told to get out of town. Marilyn Smart never saw her husband again, although I doubt she minded. She moved in with another man in Ketty and would always tell people she suspected that Marty and Bo were involved in the murders. We'll likely never know if they were. They weren't the only suspects, but in hindsight, they were the most likely, as we'll soon see. Meanwhile, the investigation was going nowhere. No motive seemed to exist for the murders. There were rumors it had been a drug deal gone bad or that Sue had been performing sex work to support her family. There was no evidence that any of these things were true, especially after the autopsies revealed that none of them had drugs in their systems. The house itself, though, was a disaster. There was blood everywhere, on the carpet, furniture, curtains, and walls. There was blood cast off on the ceiling and knife slashes and hammer holes in the wall. The living room was dismantled and taken to the sheriff's office. The walls were pulled from their studs, the carpet was rolled up, parts of the ceiling were pulled down, and even some of the floorboards were removed. It was all hauled away for further study. The house was sealed off with crime steam tape, and it sat empty, at least for a while. While this was happening, the search for Tina continued, and it was then that a startling police report was discovered. Apparently, Tina had been sexually molested several times, by a person referred to as a dirty man who lived at Ketty. Tina either didn't know his name or she was too frightened to say. She'd been assisted by an unnamed advocate when she filed the report, which included clear details. The man had not raped her, but his behavior had been escalating, which meant that it might have been a matter of time before he did. The reports forced investigators to consider another motive for the murders, that Tina may have been the intended target from the start. It was possible, but why the brutal murders of her mother and the two boys had they tried to stop the abductors? We don't know. 
But three years after the murders, almost to the day, Tina was finally found. A couple of guys hunting for old bottles were searching through a trash dump about 50 miles from Ketty and found parts of a human skull. When the news broke, an anonymous call to the local sheriff's office claimed the skull belonged to Tina. A search of the area discovered a jawbone and several other bones, and the mysterious caller turned out to be right. They were Tina's. The discovery added another element to the mystery of the already baffling case. Why was Tina's body found so far from cabin 28? And who called the police to tell them the bones belonged to her? We'll never know that either. Both the original and backup recordings of the anonymous call were released to an undisclosed law enforcement official soon after the body was found. They've since disappeared. Weeks passed, months passed, and still there was no resolution to the mystery. No arrests, no convictions. Life went on for the residents of Ketty, but life there would never be the same. Cabin 28 was cleaned up and put back on the rental market, but it would be two years before anyone lived in that house again, and they wouldn't stay for long. Families moved in and out of the cabin, and it, along with almost all the others in Ketty, began to die. A shadow had fallen over the community. The restaurant and the bar and the lodge closed down along with the general store. The cabins soon began to empty one by one. Eventually, only a few families and a handful of college students were all that was keeping the place alive. In the early 90s, the water supply was found to be contaminated and after a county inspection, many of the cabins were boarded up and condemned. And that included cabin 28 which had been drawing a steady stream of the morbid curious to the community for years. And now it brought ghost hunters too. For years, even when it was still inhabited, Cabin 28 had a reputation for being haunted. Kids didn't come into the yard to trick or treat on Halloween and the neighbors hesitated when invited in for a visit. Former occupants spoke of screams, whispers, and strange foreboding feelings in the house. Children seemed to be affected the most. They had night terrors, suffered nightmares, and one told of a man with a mean face that looked in at him from the outside the bedroom window, even though that particular window was at least eight feet off the ground. When the cabin was empty, locals crossed the gravel road to avoid it. Residents and visitors alike told of weird sounds emanating from inside and moans and knocking noises that came from behind the boarded up windows. Occasionally, the boards were ripped from the door and curious people would spend the night inside, waiting for a ghost to appear. Late one night in 1991, three teenagers were seen running from the cabin, screaming as they raced to their car. They jumped in and sped off. No one ever learned who they were or what happened to them in that house in the dark. The caretaker did his best to keep the curiosity seekers thrill seekers and ghost hunters away, but didn't have much luck. Tired of the attention and fearing a lawsuit if someone got hurt breaking into it, the owner had cabin 28 torn down in 2004. By then, it seemed the murders were long past any chance of being solved. Or were they? The same year the cabin was torn down, a documentary film about the murders was released, hoping to draw attention to the unsolved mystery. There was one startling bit of news that it contained that might have revealed the identity of the killers. 
a former therapist at the Reno VA hospital who had worked with Vietnam veterans suffering from what we know as post-traumatic stress disorder, revealed he had once treated Marty Smart for rage issues that were linked to his years in military service. During their sessions, Marty told the therapist that he had killed Sue and Tina. He said he was angry with Sue for trying to convince his wife to leave him. He'd struck her in a rage and accidentally killed her. When Tina interrupted the incident, he had to kill her too, to keep her quiet. He didn't explain why he took her with him when he left the cabin. He did add, though, that his buddy Bo had been with him and hinted that it had been Bo that killed Johnny and Dana. Well, this seemed important, and the therapist was asked why he didn't tell the police about this confession, but he said that he did, but the police had never called him back. Well, that turned out to be a lie. Records show that he did reach out to the police, but when they asked him for more information, he then denied that Marty had confessed to him. Why? It's just one more thing about this story that we'll never be able to explain. And it may not matter anyway. Marty Smart, who left Keddie after the murders, moved to Oregon, remarried, and died in 2000. No one really knows what happened to Bo. He moved to Florida and dropped off the grid. I'd say there's a good chance that a character like that is probably dead too. The Ketty murders, of course, remain unsolved after all these years. They'll likely stay that way. Most people forgot about the murders within a few years, and sadly, thanks to the fact that the victims were some of those unfortunate people who lived right on the edge of society and one step away from poverty, very little thought was given to Sue, Johnny, Dana, and Tina as time went by. And then came that movie, the one based on a true story. It was called The Strangers, and it came out in 2008. It told the story of a young couple who were attacked and killed by intruders while staying in an isolated resort cabin. The murders depicted on screen were violent, terrifying, and senseless. They happened merely because the couple had been at home at the time. There was no motive for the brutality, just like the murders at Ketty. The release of the film did one favor to the story it was based on. It brought the murders of those four people back into the spotlight again. Unfortunately, though, the fresh attention led nowhere, and soon the Ketty murders faded into the shadows once more. Is that the end of our story? Well, it is for now. This is a case that seems impossible to solve, but we just never know what might happen, especially when the spectral voices of the victims are still out there crying for justice from the other side. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language 
better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Thank you, robot. <laughs> okay. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We're now in season six of the podcast. You want to do it? (laughs) (laughs) I started started to laugh. (laughs) I can't do it. It's it's fine. You got Troy's got allergies. Actually, that might make your voice sound even raspier. I don't know. I don't know. But man, it's it's bad. It is like this is my welcome to October gift. Um, Have some have an allergy attack. So when you have to speak the most. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, I'm your co-host, Cody Beck. With me is my co-host, the author, historian, crime buff, founder of American Audience, Troy Taylor. Allergy-ridden Troy Taylor. Woods and fields, dark and wicked. I love there it. There we go. That's as good I as it's it. going to get. So, I want to yeah, get like a metal so, band yeah. just to come in and just record yeah, just that part. Just to do, well, yeah, well, we're almost done now. That's true. <laughs> we're yeah, late in the season for for. <laughs> I usually get my thing. best ideas when it's too late, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little too late to the game. Well, speaking of the yeah. season, it's um, it's October now, and even though you have stuff going all year round, this is you know it's the, yeah. when people think of the spooky times. Uh, what that do you got going true. on? Well, it is our it is our season, and speaking of almost too late, it's almost too late. Right. Um, so it's just now October first, but then which is always funny to me when people show up at you know two weeks before Halloween and go, you know, I was thinking about taking one of those tours. Well, <laughs> yeah, you and thousands of other people. Year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but because at this point, if you're thinking about attending anything in Alton or Springfield or Chicago, <laughs> now is the last chance to get booked. I yeah. mean, almost everything is full. Um, I mean, Decatur has been sold out for a month, but I mean, even Alton now we're down to just a handful of tours that are left. Everything else is filled up. Um, I still, even with some of the dinners, I, I had some notes on here for some things that um, we still had that had availability. And now I've, I've had to check one of them off oh, that man. I was going to say on my notes, I had to mark it off before we even went on because it's it's full. Um, the, the only ones really that are left, and this one should be, I would think, of interest to our listeners because we always do the horror movie, you know, podcasts and stuff as an extra thing. But I've got that Hollywood one coming up and it's not i mean it's not by any means empty it's it's two-thirds of the way filled but i do have some seats and it's hollywood horrors and it's like the true story behind hollywood horror films nice dinner with dinner and spirits event i'm doing now i got american witch and edgar Allan poe coming up i got one more st louis exorcism that isn't sold out 
uh, at the beginning of December. And then, of course, the Spirits of Christmas. And then that's going to be it uh, for 2022. I mean, we are almost out of everything at this point. And then we're moving on to the next year. And, of course, I think last time we announced Dead of Winter on February 11th, 2023. Um, the VIP packages already more than half filled already. So if you're thinking about doing that, getting the swag, the T-shirts, the reserve seating, all that stuff, now would be the time to check that out too. I know, I know, I know it's only October and that's not till February, but that's just, you know, nature of the beast, I'm afraid, you know, it's things are, things are happening. So uh, things are starting to fill up. Um, the only thing I, I did want to mention, a couple things that I didn't want to mention that I forgot to mention last time is that the new uh, issue of The Morbid Curious just came out. Uh, issue number six is our fall, uh, our Halloween issue just came out. And I, I think I forgot to mention that last time, but um, we've already had lots and lots of people are, are picking up on that. But I wanted to mention it to our podcast people too, if they're interested, um, the new the new magazine is out. Um, so you can go to the website, check that out, AmericanHauntingsInc.com. And um, yeah, it's a good issue. Nice. Yeah, I haven't got that one yet, but I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. Um, let's dive into a, a listener review since there's just yeah. there's so much there's so much going on, so much we could talk about with October. I know. But, um, I know. We're trying to figure out what what do we hit here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, we have we're limited on time. Um, okay, this one is titled "Favorite Podcast" from the Shizzle Bizzle. Uh, you, you do what you got to do uh, it says definitely my favorite podcast i do lots of traveling and my dad and i always enjoy listening this is the only podcast i marathon and consistently enjoy uh the different topics i'm a huge fan of the theme music backing tracks as well thanks for making these i thought it was um it was interesting because i love when people you know like the music and stuff but yeah, my yeah, dad yeah. never listened to one episode of this podcast so it's <laughs> it's interesting that people can like bond over this with the podcast. yeah right 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 <laughs> yeah and i love that so thank you so much for listening and for the yeah. nice review yeah very uh, cool. let's let's dive in because uh this this one's this one's gonna be a sad one folks um yeah well and and yet uh, yet another horror movie tie-in which and by the way i saw smile this weekend Yes. Oh, I was going to, I was going to say yeah, sm uh, smile and then it's I'm no here. barbarian, but it's no I, barbarian. It was, it was okay. Uh, it was I mean, just I, okay. Oh, I wanted to love it. The reviews yeah. are great. I mean, so it's still worth seeing. Yeah. And I did like it, but I wanted to love it, but I didn't, mm. but I like, well, it. damn. Well, I'm still excited but it's to see still it. We're seeing it's still yeah. worth seeing. I'm hearing uh, really good things about uh Hellraiser, surprisingly. Yeah, when's that come out? Is it, uh, Friday yeah, is this, it, this this week, I think. This coming that, week? Yeah, yeah I think it was sometime soon. Yeah, I'll, I'm interested in checking that out too. So. Yeah, so we'll Anyway, I, I'm sorry I took you off the rails there. So nope. Okay. All good. All right. Sorry. All right. Let's let's go. I'm sorry. I will all, not. All cool. So Sierra. I will Nevada not interrupt Plains. you again. Oh god. Oh, sorry. Darren, I see what he's doing. <laughs> I see your machinations. Okay. Um, <laughs> April 11th, 1981. Some strangers come into Ketty Resort and kill four people: mother, daughter, son, and friend. They're beaten to death while their other children, with their other children, um, sleep in the next room. So this place, Ketty Resort. You say it thrived in isolation for a while, log cabins, restaurant, general store. For those who wanted to escape the city, is this like yeah, a it's one of those Northern California kind of resorts? You know, I mean, there was okay. a lot of that kind of stuff in the early 1900s. And even in, uh, into the 50s, it was kind of like the um, 
the, uh, you you may be familiar with like the Wisconsin supper club phenomenon with these restaurants and on lakes and things where people okay. can come and you can take boats out and then it's a it's a supper club and this was kind of the same kind of thing except in northern california and it started a little earlier because when people wanted to get away from the city having an isolated place like this was ideal because mm-hmm. they you know wouldn't be bothered Third by, you know, the highway and because it was impossible to get to. I mean, early on, you used to have to take the train. It would drop you off by there because there really weren't any connecting roads. But as time went on, of course, the highways and things started to come in. But even then, it was still so isolated that people could use it as a getaway. And that's how it became popular in the first place. But you know how that goes over time. You know, with so many things we've talked about over the years. I mean, is it, including is it like, like the a, Springs Hotel? You know, is it like, things a, like, like that. Jackson Hole, how all the tech bros like went there and kind of just like ruined that place? Or yeah, but, yeah, except that this place never got ruined as, as far as nobody cool. Well, I wouldn't say cool. Let me <laughs> rephrase. Um, nobody overbearing and obnoxious came there and just like, you know, ran it to death and then left it to Jackson Hole was cool before the tech bros. Uh-huh. It really was as a as of this kind of place, because I mean, when I was a kid, we used to go there a lot. Uh, it's a, it was a great town. You know, I I first time I I, I, I threw up, uh, I got a hot dog at a rodeo in Jackson Hole and I threw up and for years couldn't eat hot dogs after that. No shit. Yeah, I still remember that. So it's a, was it because you were riding trauma. the bulls? No, I was not. I was like, oh, I don't know, twelve. <laughs> so no, oh, okay, no, no. That was just a. It was just a bad experience. That that's what I remember about Jackson Hole. Anyway, nice. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm you're sorry you brought it up, aren't you? I'm so, happy anyway. to know. I'm happy to All bring right, go up ahead. these memories for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a tight knit community who looked out for each other. You know, people help raise each other's childrens, but they they rarely lock their doors. And I guess at one point they just did nobody ever look around and be like, wait a minute. I know we're all kind of cool, but are uh, we yeah, cool because well, we're I think it was I mean, it was the 70s, you know, I mean, it was the 70s. So everybody was still you know, riding in the end of that peace, love crap, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> not realizing that the 60s were over after, you know, Manson and Altamont and the 70s were an ugly decade in American history. But nobody was remembering that yet not in the not in the 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 dope smoking woods of northern california where things were still cool you know right and so yeah nobody was looking around and really seeing what kind of scumbags were living all around them shiftless transients you know and and nobody was thinking too hard about it at the time now obviously that's all going to come out because that's what happened when they started the investigation into the murder so like wait a minute we got like thieves and outlaws and, and you know dope dealers and child molesters and everything living in this town but nobody thought about it at the time it seemed like a you know a cool place to be yeah it was kind of it kind of reminds me of that place like in um uh in southern california with all that is it uh sargasso sea area where the they all the concrete plaque things are and people just live out there in trailers you know what I'm talking about? In, I don't into the know. Wild. No. Have you seen Into the Wild? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, remember where the people are living with the trailers and they're all uh-huh. out there smoking dope and selling books and stuff? Yeah, it reminds me of that except cabins. Okay. At that time. But then, of course, you know, this happened. This <laughs> happens, yes. Yeah, so the this that we're talking about 
Um, like we said, four people were killed and the Sharps were among the most of them. So Glenna Sharp, named Sue, moves into cabin 28 in 1980, escaping an abusive relationship with her five kids. She makes friends with uh, Marilyn Smart and her family. The kids get along with uh, some of the other families around. But um, it's one woman in particular, uh, Zanita Seabolt. Uh, who did yeah. not approve of how Sue was raising her children, yeah. but it seemed it's her husband, like her the strict Morgan Mor, Mormon woman with the husband who was a weenie wagger, you know. Yes. So yes. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> Nobody yes. knew that at the time either. <laughs> did it, you know? Anyway, I sorry, I didn't mean to throw that on either. That stuff didn't <laughs> exist back then. I right? wish everybody could see the looks on Cody's face when I say things and throw him off his game. But anyway, I go ahead. I have a I don't mean to interrupt your synopsis. So. Strict outline here. He just throws these weenie wagon curveballs at me all the time. So Saturday, April 11th, 1981, in the house are Sue, Tina, Ricky and Greg and their friend Justin, Johnny, his friend Dana. And that's it. At the time, Sue's friends, Marilyn and Marty, stopped by with their creepy friend, uh, John Bobaday, yeah. Bo, who Marty knew from the psych ward. So, yeah, stand up <laughs> so I always like, uh, okay. <laughs> and not even making, you can't even make this up. Yeah. Right, right. It's just like, you don't want to come drink with us, you know, my yeah, psych ward buddy, know, like, my buddy, my buddy just got, you know, just got his straight jacket off. Let's go hang out, you know. Right. Oh, I, I don't think it was that recent, but still, that's how they bonded and became friends. Really? And this is the guy you've got hanging out at your house. I'm thinking yeah. seems bad to me, but whatever. I wonder what that what like was there a bar in the town or like yeah, yeah, yeah. At the lodge, the like. bar was still open, but it was mostly just for locals. I mean, the restaurant was still open at that point, but mm -hmm. it didn't get a lot, it wasn't seeing a lot of business. Um, and it was pretty run down, um, you know, a la you know, the bar and lodge in that one movie that we like with John Hamm and you know what I'm talking about. Um, the hotel, hotel, uh, Royale, is that what it's called? Oh, uh, uh, bad times at the El Royale. Yeah. You know, so it was a seedy kind of, you know, but yeah, the bar was still open, but it was mostly for, um, you know, like just the locals, you know, Got so they, they have a place to go get beer, like one of the bars from like Twin Peaks or something, you know, sure. that's what I'm picturing. Actually, okay. this is a lot like Twin Peaks. That just dawned on me. But anyway, go ahead. All good. So imagine <laughs> a you're, lot of Twin Peaks vibes here. Huh? You're you're 12 years old and you come home and you find three bodies covered in blood just in your living room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you freak out. Uh huh. And she uh, Sh Sheila runs out and um, doesn't even. I guess comprehend who's there at the time. Yeah, it doesn't realize that it's her, you know, that it's her mom, and you know, it's, she didn't realize all she saw were the bodies. Yeah. You know, and her brother and and Dana, she didn't realize. So. And the, yeah, and the police determined uh, they've been bludgeoned slash badly tortured for hours. You know, Sue's naked below the waist, bound, gagged, teeth broken, chest stabbed, skull crushed with a claw hammer. They're all tied up, fucked up, killed, and you know, obviously, kind of tortured in different ways i guess but you know just it seems like it, the way that they were killed and the things that happened it seems like people just playing around not really having no plan oh, oh, or yeah anything. yeah just and it's like it's it's not even like they could be tortured them to try to get information about what right. um money they didn't have any you know, I mean, I suppose we could come up with some kind of scenario where somebody knew where something was. Let's say Johnny and Dana were, you know, had stolen drug money or something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it doesn't 
but they, there was no sign of any of that. They couldn't find any evidence of anything like that happening. The whole thing just seemed to have been completely random. Like somebody yeah. showed up and just decided to fuck with these people and kill them mm-hmm. because they wanted to, because they answered the door, you know, yep. because they were home. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's all. Yeah. All very whimsical. I'm putting in all the taglines. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was wondering too, um, how many, I was wondering how many, murders you know happen for i hate to say this but like a reason where as other ones like compared to how many just happened before the fuck of it you know yeah i don't know man i uh i wonder about that too because there just seems like even just with our stuff even the stuff that we do it seems like there's an awful lot of stuff that that pops up that just seems to have absolutely no reason for it yep. to have happened you know and and so when as shocking as this story is, um, you're kind of like, oh, wow, that's another one. But it was 1981. So it does seem like it's kind of early, you know, as far as like you're not going to mix it in with any kind of modern day or recent. I mean, I guess that's modern day, but anything too recent, it doesn't seem to ring true to that or, or in connection with. But it's just so weird and random and creepy. And I think that makes it scarier. If it you does. knew, of course, I mean, it. You know, like serial killers have reasons that they kill people and it's a reason to them, which would not make sense to any of the rest of us. So I get that. Right. But on the other hand, at least there's a reason behind it, you know, a method to it. But stuff like this is just there's there is no reason. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And that's why, like, I I feel, you know, I do the my best to not piss too many people off to cut out city <laughs> characters of my life but like and then something like this could happen yeah or you know that's why the, the serial killers that always um freak me out the most like we've talked about before but are like are the like the richard ramirez types where they just kill anybody for any yeah. reason didn't have a right. you know a, yeah. a certain kind of type right 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 no no strict victim type no strict methodology no nothing just random crazy stuff you know? right People are insane. And as somehow no one hears anything. Um, and, yeah, which and is weird in itself. How yeah. does that happen if they're hammering in the walls? and Well, yeah, my and guess is that somebody probably heard something and decided to just mind their own business. Yeah. They didn't want to know what's going on. I mean, they probably didn't think it was a murder, but they still didn't want to get involved in whatever it was. Because as far as they knew, somebody having a hell of a party, you know, sure. and they didn't want to get involved, you know. Yeah, yes. I, I don't believe that no one heard anything. I don't believe that. But I suppose it's possible, but it's hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, even in living in my apartment complex now in 2022, like I've heard random screams and I'm you, like, yeah, you hear everything. Well, yeah. I'm like, what am I, what do, I do? do? Yeah, I know. And I know. especially and think about you're in the middle of the woods back then. It's like, yeah. what do you do? No kidding. No kidding. Absolutely. And, you know, and if you if you look up any photographs of the Ketty Resort, um, you, you could see they're they're not exactly spread apart. I mean, they're they're all kind of there. It's a you know, it was an old cabin resort. So the cabins are somewhat close together. So if there was anything that loud going on, there's no way you couldn't have heard it. You had to have heard something, mm-hmm. you know, especially at night in the woods. I mean, you know, it travels. I mean, I used I can remember, like you said, you know, living in your apartment building in the city, you would you hear a random scream. I can remember living out at a house on a lake years ago and i mean you could hear stuff coming from across the lake and there were times i mean you think somebody was being murdered and i don't know maybe they were i don't know but (laughs) 
what do you do? You know, what do you do? But at least if someone had asked me, I would have said, oh, well, yeah, I did hear this. Yeah. But, you know, that's why I think somebody heard something. But yep. anyway. that makes sense. So yeah. Tina is missing and the yes. investigation, like you said, leads into them finding out there's a lot of questionable characters living in Ketty. Uh, most people are investigated, although liars, they're not, uh, they don't seem to be guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just idiots. I mean, you know, and even then, and, you know, and, and, and the jump, jump to the end where you, you get this documentary and this therapist yeah. comes out who turns out to be a liar too, but you get this therapist who claims that they confess to him, but even that confession doesn't make sense because even he says, oh yeah, I had to kill, you know, I had to, I took Tina with me and I had to kill, uh, had to kill Sue. And it's like, well, what about the other two guys? Did you yeah. forget about them? Oh, well, I bet it was my buddy that did it, but I didn't see anything. Okay, so your confession doesn't even make sense. Yeah. I don't buy that therapist anyway. I mean, I had to include it because it's part of the story. But, um, you know, he said, well, why didn't you, you know, oh, the police never called me back, which turned out to be a lie because the cops so had records of calling him back. And he said, oh, no, 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 I made the whole thing up. He didn't confess. So did he confess or did he not confess? We'll never know. Uh, I don't believe he did. I still think, I honestly do think this was some kind of crazy passing transients. I really mm -hmm. do. Um, that's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, these two guys were so dumb, they could have never have gotten away with it. You know what I mean? Their, their lies were so ridiculous and stupid and easily disproven. I don't think they could have gotten away with murder. I, I really don't. I mean, they had done some stupid stuff, but neither of them had been, you know, ever accused of anything that serious. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see any reason why he just would have randomly gone over and killed the neighbor, you know, yeah. and her kids and 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 two of her kids and the neighbor and the, and the friend from town. I just don't buy it. It's to make any sense. You know, do you think course, uh, I guess neither does the stranger thing either, but still, right. You know, I don't know. I don't know. So if you think it's, you know, somebody just kind of passing through, do you think it's more than one person then? Because it seems like hard to do by yourself. You couldn't. I don't think you do it by up. yourself. I think you'd need at least two people to have done this because they're subduing two, you know, decent sized teen, 17 year old teenage boys. Right. And a grown woman and a little girl that they took with them. So that's four people people one person couldn't have done it and i know you can use the richard speck defense and go oh well look he killed eight nurses but i'm not convinced he was by himself either mm. but and that's a whole different story but and even so there was a method to that madness where it kind of made sense where this just doesn't it just doesn't it, especially the two boys i just don't believe that they would have just easily have rolled over so for one guy there had sure. to be someone else there they're just yeah and it kind Probably of seems with like guns, you know. Well, yeah, and with the uh, with the the violence and the um, just the sporadicness of everything, it almost seems like it'd be like one person kind of playing off another and up yeah. in the ante. You yeah, know? banging stuff into the walls, you know, uh, bad cop, bad cop kind of thing. And one yeah. of them, one of them knocks a hole in the wall. I'm going to do this to your head, you know. I, who knows? But I mean, it, it would at least make more sense if it was multiple people. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, well, I'd be curious. I mean. It, doesn't seem like these people would then stop if that, and it probably wasn't the first time they'd done something well, like that. And for all we know, there were more. Yeah. It just never become well known. You, have, I mean, you just haven't written that book yet because you haven't put it all. I just haven't found anything else. I mean, I haven't seen anything else that matches this, which I mean, maybe that's the whole thing. I mean, maybe it's not going to match. Maybe there are other random, well, there, well, you know, there are, we know there are other random murders out there. 
but around the same time, who knows? Yeah. Now, now I'm curious. Damn you, Cody. I got enough to do, man. <laughs> you know, oh, here's my, here, I, well, I love it. that. I, I love getting you to write another book, but <laughs> maybe, maybe it's like they, uh, they did this murder like this, but then the one before was like so clean and proper and that, you know, some yeah. galoshes dropped them down. Right, that's right, how right. nobody's and, ever and the, trailed. And the next one, they shot three people to death, you know, yes. and uh, yeah. didn't touch them at all. Yeah. I'd, I'd never figure that out, but geniuses. But it is yeah. interesting though. <laughs> but they uh unfortunately they do find tina uh three years later her skull yeah. and other bones found you know to dump 50 miles away an anonymous call claimed it tina's turns out to be what do you what do you make of that oh, no. be- yeah that's a good question um and there has been and since that call has disappeared you know they've never found I mean, the tape they had a recording of the call and now it's vanished and nobody knows what happened to it other than some cop had it. And so we don't even, I, I don't know. I can't sit here and tell you that I know for a fact that call ever happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might've been somebody who said that it did just to confirm, just to as a backdoor way of confirming it was her. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Uh, but yeah, I find it weird that, you know, they, they the, the call vanished the way that it did, you know, the recording of the call. So I don't sure. know. It's interesting though, but they did, they did verify that it was her body and there's no explanation for how she ended up there other than whoever did this took her with them and probably horribly mistreated her and then left her body in the dump you know yeah so i don't know uh, man. well that is no it's a sick story yeah it's fucked up and the town never recovers cabin 28 had a rep for being haunted you know former occupants speak of screams sure. whispers strange foreboding feelings you said that if, when the first time you said children seem to be affected the most i literally was like good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah of course you did <laughs> and you said once one spoke of a mean face that looking him from outside the window eight feet off the ground and i was like what if it's just another peeping tom <laughs> yeah right it's the weenie wagger guy that never moved away right he's got a ladder now so yeah, yes. I, I don't know. Um. <laughs> in, in 1991, three teens are seen running from the cabin, screaming, race off in their car. Seems like something straight out of a movie. And I, right, I love doesn't that. It? Or yeah. an episode of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in 2004, the cabin's torn down, that documentary you talked about. And then it just kind of goes away i mean you said did so the, did the movie the strangers actually bring back interest in this at all it did or? for a very slight amount of time there was an interest that, the, in the case but it it didn't lead anywhere there's just no there's just there's just nowhere to go with this investigation you sure. know the same way where there's no place to go with the book either but i don't think but uh, i just don't think there's anywhere to go with the investigation just because what you know what can you do what what how do you find anything you know and so um and especially after all that time you know you're talking a lot of years later by the time that movie came out but it did get people interested but didn't matter because it's still unsolved and it i don't i mean i can't imagine how they would ever solve this crime i really don't you know even if they could get a hold of everything that was in that house and run all new dna on it you know, maybe the guy scratched him. Maybe a guy got scratched or spit or who knows. But I don't even see how they do that at this point because I don't think any of that stuff was saved. I could be wrong, though. I I, I could be wrong. Uh, but I've never heard of anybody trying to reopen it, running tests on anything that was left. So Got it. Well, I so I did a video for Cinema Blend on YouTube, and it was uh, the scariest horror movies, like my 10 scariest horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I put The Strangers as number six. I and I had to movie, do man. 
It's it's great. But I had to do a little research for that. And I realized uh, I found out that home invasions where victims become uh, victims of violent crime by strangers happen basically 204 times a day in the oh U.S. My God. Now, this was, you know, this. <laughs> and I didn't. I'm not sure I needed to know that. Yeah. Well, these you. stats were pulled, you know, from like at probably 2015 or something. But oh, still, okay. that's terrifying. Still, like, that is yeah. terrifying. Yeah, because I mean, it's always going to be that, you know, why are you doing this to us? Because you were home. I know. You know, I mean, oh, God, that's yeah. what that's what clinched that movie. Well, I've I something clinched when I was watching that movie. I'll tell you <laughs> that uh, because that I mean, shit, that is scary. I mean, and, you know, and as crazy as people are, yeah, I'm not even surprised. Yes, it's like it reminds me of. I hate to like equate this to little kids, but there's a like, there's a meme where it's like uh, we went out to, you know, some Italian restaurant and the waiter said, you know, hey, like, you know, how are you doing? What's your name? And he said, you can call me Captain Ravioli. And he said the dad looks at the kid and goes, what the fuck is your problem? Why would you say that? And it's like asking a little kid, like, why did you just do that? And the kid's like. <laughs> Honestly, I, I can't tell it. No good answer. Like, yeah, it's just I have completely no good weird. answer. Yeah. Uh, did you just, see they're doing a Strangers reboot, but they're going to do a trilogy of things? Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I like the second one, too. It's just a different movie, which it is, is. kind of goes with our. Yeah, but that kind of goes with our thought process here uh -huh. that they're committing completely different murders the next time around. Um, it's entertaining, but I don't know how the guy with the mask became like Michael Myers, somehow right. in, unstoppable, you know, yeah. but the scene with the, the scene in the, the whole pool scene though, yeah, that, that murder scene, that's some good stuff there. That was, a, I, that, that's a cool piece of work. I, 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 I vaguely really remember that. it. I vaguely remember it. I remember like being in trailers and stuff, but I'll have to revisit it. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, since you have to watch it again. Because the first time I was kind of disappointed when I first watched it, because I was like, oh man, this isn't, this isn't like the first one. And so, you know how I, I always do that. It's like yes. when I watch Midsummer and you're like, okay, dude, watch it again. It's not supposed to be just like hereditary. I'm yeah. like, okay, I watch it again. And then I, now I love it. But, and I had to do the same thing with that. I had to go back and rewatch it. And then when I rewatched it, I'm like, oh shit, this is good. <laughs> this is a good right. movie. <laughs> well, I'll have to check it out again. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to our latest uh, supporters on Patreon. So thank you very much to Emily and Christy for supporting the show. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. Well, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Sue. Um, she sent a package Sue. to us um, here and she had, um, she said she thought of us in the podcast and she had to get it and couldn't resist. And it was a, a package that contained a, a haunted tours, like a decorative Halloween pillow that had haunted oh, tours. Oh, nice. It was kind of fun. But more importantly, um, was the bag of Halloween Oreos that she sent. <laughs> so, yeah, with the, the you know the orange filling and the different designs on the outside. But anyway, she said, I hope to get um, I hope to one day or rather night get to Alton for a haunted tour. I wish I had known about Alton goings on when I was dating someone from near there. Anyway, enjoy. So I wanted to thank Aww. her for sending it. It was kind of fun. And um I uh, my diet is not thanking you uh for the cookies, but oh so you know. I'm sorry, you saved me uh, two of those sleeves, right? Is that how, how this works? Um, well, you know, I was just afraid I wouldn't see in time and they might get stale. You know, oh, we they, couldn't do that to and, Sue. Okay. Oh, yeah, I didn't want that to happen. So didn't I, want I, to go to waste. Yeah. No, exactly. And so I and I thought maybe you'd prefer if I just went ahead and ate them. So uh, okay, we'll talk about this <laughs> off air. 
it is now time for our ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. I want to give a quick shout out to Helen who wrote in and talked about where I could find uh, muffalettas and olives in STO oh, yeah. um, from our previous yeah. ghostwriter thing. Um, but this week's uh, email comes to us from uh, from three sorry i have something in my notes here uh the subject is uh, a linden murders question and the message is hello i live near linden and enjoy visiting graveyards i was able to find where all the named victims were buried oh, in cool. west middlebury cemetery wyoming county said so do you know where the unidentified victim was buried if she had a marked grave at all i do not and but i would doubt it um uh -huh. i doubt they had much of a budget for that at the time in that area, she was probably just buried in a in an unmarked in a Potter's Field kind of grave. Got would it. be my guess. I don't know that for a fact, but if she hunted through and found everybody else but couldn't find anything with an unknown mark, my guess is that it wasn't marked. So yeah, I don't know. But I'll bet anything it's the same cemetery where the other mm -hmm. people were buried. Uh, because I mean, how many, I mean, I suppose there could be a number of them, but it seems like anything that would be that close to Linden, I would think everybody would be buried there Bree, you know? just start digging just yeah well happens. yeah just uh you get some uh get some dowsing rods and just start walking around looking for unmarked graves yeah. and keep digging you'll find her eventually so <laughs> and but don't tell know. them we told you to do that so no oh, yeah for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about listen to our previous episode wedged into an empty apple bin oh yes troy, troy yeah. that's all i got man all right. Well, sounds good. So this was um, this was a, one of those, you know, anytime I can tie it into a horror movie, it's exciting for me. But, um, yeah. but yeah, actually, I, I was looking forward to including this episode. Um, and the next one, our next episode that's coming out is a bit of a controversial one or has been for me because I've taken a lot of heat for it over the years. So I'm more than nice. happy to throw that out there into the podcast realm uh, with my, you know, personal opinions. <laughs> Yes, perfect. I love it. Uh, but yeah, so that'll be coming up in our next episode. And then after that, we've only got three more regular episodes. So, you know, we'll uh, this season is coming to a close. Oh, and I forgot to mention, um, you know, review us on iTunes, all that. Don't forget if you're ordering anything from the from the website, use the podcast discount code. You just put in the word podcast at AmericanHauntings.net. And um, also Patreon uh, are the new series. The new Patreon-only series is going to be starting this month. So it will be premiering in October. So Beautiful. get ready for that. If you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, we'll get up a post about it before it comes out. And uh, I'll probably put together a little trailer like we usually do. And then uh, just keep an eye on that. But then their new series is going to be starting. I met some people over the weekend were telling me how much they had enjoyed the last one. So that's always nice to hear. Because yeah. uh, we do, uh, we put a lot of work into it, but it is a lot of fun. Well, it's fun for me. I don't know about Cody, but I can't wait I have... for all that extra editing. <laughs> yeah. More sound effects. Woohoo. <laughs> awesome. Well, this episode of the American Onyx podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by yours truly, Cody back music for this season is performed by packy lundholm and you can find more about his music and upcoming shows on twitter instagram bandcamp soundcloud and facebook. actually you gotta check out his facebook because he started this thing where he's i've seen it have you yeah, seen him yeah, yeah. if he gets like a spam text from you know so because we all get him all he gets the time. a spam test he always replies to it about check out packy lundholm on and it puts links and stuff and then if you and they'll, they'll say do you love pizza that'll be the thing it goes 
No, but I love Packy Lundholm, and he answers all of the texts, and then he screenshots them and posts them. They're hilarious. They're, why don't we really start funny, doing man. that? Because it is a great idea. I'm just <laughs> I'm really love funny. It, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Yeah, Packy, that's amazing. And keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you can find us on most of those places too. Plus, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Um, if you listen somewhere weird that I haven't heard of yet, let me know. Yeah. I've been seeing us pop up on random yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, we also want apologize to everyone who's been listening on various platforms and getting like oh. religious commercials during our show we don't know how that happened but i've been hearing from a lot of you that you've been getting them and that was a weird setting that got turned off yep. we don't want political or religious ads during yes. our show and yep. i know that a lot of you're being jarred <laughs> dramatically yeah. jarred out of listening to the show by getting all these weird commercials so yeah. you got that fixed yeah so sorry yeah the, now the it'll just be like insurance and i don't know what else but yeah anyway. taco bell um, Ooh, but yeah, taco bell I I, i'm down for that, that. yeah, yeah the me... programmatic advertising can get a little weird but um we <laughs> dove into the settings and um it shouldn't be happening anymore after we the only sixth be... complaint yes, yes. So <laughs> no they weren't really keep... complaints they were all like what the hell yeah just the heads up yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, also you can check out the website, AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more. Thanks for listening. We couldn't, definitely wouldn't. Don't yep. know why we're still doing it. Do it without you. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. See you See later. See you later. Oh, okay. Hey, I got a question for you.